We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. All right. Hello and welcome to Wolves Fest. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast. Let's go. We're here at uh, Falling Knife Brewing Company. Uh, yes, let's hear it for Falling Knife. They have been an awesome, not just for us, but for you guys too, for the games uh, last season, all year, this season as well. Uh, shout out to Cooper Carlson, who is here on the board, uh, taking care of the sound for us. Uh, and, of course, to my friend, the OG of Timberwolves coverage, Britt Robson. That's here for Britt. Yeah, 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 yeah. And just thank you to all of you guys for being here, to listening. Um, I was thinking about it this morning, just when I started doing this, whatever this is, it was with the idea that, like, this community existed here. You know, I'm from here. I've got a bunch of friends and Wolves group messages and all that thing too. And I know you guys have that uh, in your world. And I'm glad that Falling Knife and maybe this podcast is contributing to the kind of bringing us all together. So I'm just really grateful uh, that that you guys are here and, and listen to the show and support it. So thank you again. Uh, it means a lot to me. The plan tonight, uh, obviously we've got the game at 630. Uh, we're going to do the show here for a while. we got some giveaways. Uh, we got some tickets, some shirts. I think there's vintage Wolves merch uh, outside there uh, that you can you can grab too. And yeah, then we'll just hang out and uh, watch the game all together. So again, thank you for being here, Britt. Uh, let's. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna take a lot of questions. I feel like that's how we should do it. There's a third mic right here. We love questions. so just kind of come up to Coop over here on my right. Uh, make a line, ask a question. We'll talk about that, but. Uh, Britt, let's start just like high level uh, with the, with this team entering the season. I feel like so many people have like Ant on their mind with this season and what he's done and how he's elevated this season. But for me, I think so much of this year, what it will be or won't be is about Cat and the direction that he's able, the way in which he's able to to bounce back this season. Obviously, the first two preseason games. Uh, we're encouraging. It's encouraging to see him healthy. And I think the hope, right, is that you get that super duper effective, highly efficient Carl Anthony Towns back. What 
if the Wolves get that, or what are you expecting from Carl, and, and what would that mean for this team if Carl is able to deliver that? Well, I think what I'm expecting from Cat is what we've seen, which is he's a phenomenal offensive player. Mm-hmm. Um, he can shoot. He's a matchup nightmare. He can take uh, smaller people into the block and drive on them with his left hand mostly. He's a great shooter from outside. He's a 40% shooter. Although I'm, I'm going to disagree with you right off the bat, of course. There you and, go. Uh, and say that, I mean, I don't regard Cat as the key to this because I think that Cat will be a net plus this year if only because he won't miss 52 games in my, you know, yeah. more than likely. I think Gobert is, if you're looking for somebody who needs, who's kind of like a hinge piece, yeah. that, you know, if, if it works out, things are great. If it doesn't work out, things aren't great. I would I would regard Rudy Gobert that way. Um, well, what does that look like? Like, what it looks does it like look him, like if Rudy is great? It looks like him being flexible and expanding his range of being well above average. He's going to be excellent as a rim protector and as a drop guy, and he's going to be occasionally excellent as a roller on the pick and roll. Um, can he stay in the dunker spot and create room for people in the half court? Right. Can he get up in coverage and still go back? Or occasionally when he can't go back, can he do a, some kind of modified rotation or at least a switching? Can he be more mobile on defense without hurting himself? And can he be less impactful on offense but more value to the team at that end of the floor as a result? And all of those things hinge on the question of can he remove some of the habits? And the, the guy has been a three-time defensive player of the year and a multiple all-star. His teams have won more games than anybody in the NBA. And a franchise was built around him over a nine-year period. There is all kinds of reasons, not to mention the four first-round draft picks and three rotation players that were acquired for him. And Walker Kessler. There, there is a lot of the impetus for him to say, if people just fall into line in doing what I do best, things will be great. And I would say, I hope he's mature enough to realize that that isn't true. What is true is if he becomes more of a blender on this team, if he becomes the third, second, fourth best player on this team, but does it in a way where what his skills, the way his skills are used, maximizes the potential of the four other guys on the floor with him? That's going to be much more important than what Cat does. I, I, then that's not to denigrate Cat. I think Cat will have a typical Cat year. I think he'll be between 17 and 24 points a game. I think he'll get upper digit, not quite double digit rebounds. And I think, again, what. Depending on Gobert, his defense, that's another question. But Gobert's flexibility on defense can help him. Uh, okay, so th- the reason I think about it as Cat is just kind of looking at last season, right? 23rd on offense, 8th on defense, right? Yes. And and it's about, right, you want to be a top 8 team in the league or whatever. You probably got to be top 10 on both sides of the ball. And... 
and they, I mean, Ant can carry you only so far there, as we saw last season. Even if, you know, Ant is 15% better this season, I don't know, does that move you up to average, right? Like, what Carl can impose offensively, I think, totally changes the dynamic of this team from what it was last year, which is, like, a team that's going to guard well and, like, keep up with you scoring. And, and if you can guard well plus be the more dynamic offensive team in more matchups than not, I think that's how this team ascends to a different level. So maybe I'm looking at it like that of like what makes this team elite elite. And, and to me, that is about Carl and, and what he is able to do, how he's able to stretch the floor, where he's able to place himself, all those sort of things. I think his job is the hardest in acclimation with this team. And, and that's why I'm seeing him as, as the linchpin more than Rudy. And that, that's all good logic, and I understand that logic. I don't think that's a big stretch for Cat. I think that Cat, if he comes in and just by his very presence on the court, he's going to create space. You know, he is. I don't think Cat is a healthy Cat who knows his role and everybody playing well around him is going to shoot between 38 and 41% from deep. He's going to get a lot of those open shots because of his teammates, Conley and Ant in particular. Um, he is going to get rebounds. He is going to be able to take people off the dribble. Uh, on the other end, he is going to be penalized. It's going to be a slow team in the front court with him and Gobert. And to the extent that uh, slow-mo gets in the lineup as a three. Um, but what I would say is the adjustments Cat has to make for things to go really well and the adjustments Gobert has to make for things to go really well. That's why I would say Gobert is more of an X factor. But to your point, Cat will do good things for this team. And, I mean, on an ambient level, if Cat has a year where he simply suits up for 80, 75, 80 games, right. the offense will be dramatically better because of the gravity he brings to the court and the skills he brings to the court. Um, now, I will grant you that if Cat doesn't bitch at the refs all the time, if Cat doesn't say terrible things in an effort to be validated all the time, if Cat um, doesn't do the sling passes that result in uh, two turnovers for every dime, um, in other words, if Cat also circumscribes his game to do what he does best, um, then yes, then they make a, a, a yet another leap because Cat, both Cat and Gobert can hurt you with their habits. And to the extent that they limit those hurting things and keep those positive things, this team has the potential to be very, very good. So as, as training camp has gone on, the preseason games, right, the the big talking point has been this whole, how are they shifting the way in which the offense looks, the structure versus flow sort of thing. Right. And, and I've been big on adding that to the cocktail. Right. I, 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 I think that's super important. And now it's kind of once it, once it happens, right. You, you ask yourself the other side of the question, which I think the other side of the question now is okay. Structure I think is, necessary for Rudy. I think it helps Carl. What impact does that have on Ant, who is the most important player on this team? And I, I guess my question to you is just like, 
now thinking about this team more closely for two weeks, having a better idea of what it's going to look like, what do you think the impact of a more structured offense is going to be for Anthony Edwards, who is a player who I would say hasn't played in a very structured setting thus far in his career and been a become a star player, an all-star player in a less structured environment? I think that's an open question. I think they're going about it the right way in that, as you say, structure enables Cat and Rudy to both lock in to exist, to do the kinds of things I was just talking about in terms of putting them in spots that where they don't hurt your team, they help your team. And I think that while Ant it remains the priority, um, if you can get Cat and Rudy working together and you provide space, if Rudy stays in the dunker spot every now and then, if Cat does drift to the corner or the arc and Ann has the ball on the weak side or you're working pick and roll with Conley or you're even working pick and roll you know, with Cat and, and uh, whoever, Cat and McDaniels, or Cat is feeding McDaniels. There are all kinds of ways. I think that Anthony Edwards is a force unto himself. And as we saw, I mean, that one play where he just decided to get a bucket at the end of the first, first half quarter, yeah. against Dallas. Um, he will thrive in transition and he will thrive in, in modified ISO. I don't like him in straight ISO, but if he will thrive in, in actions where some space is created for him. And I do think the thing that is most important about Ant, aside from the fact that he doesn't sustain his focus, which is this, by far his biggest foible, it is the thing that you have to worry about, is when can he lock in against bad teams and in a February road game what doesn't have John Morant to guard or Luka Doncic to guard or something. Um, but otherwise, aside from that sustained focus, it's become pretty clear that he is being handed the mantle of somebody who is supposed to lead a team that hosts playoff games and eventually competes for a championship. He understands that. Chris Finch understands that. Tim Connolly understands that. Those are the three people that need to understand it the most. So that I think at the end of the day, they'll work the spacing to get Cat and Gobert going. But at the end of the day, if it dramatically impacts Ant, things will change. Again, we're going to take questions. We can start taking any of them here, right here. Cooper has the microphone uh, right there. Just can you hear me in the back? Are we good? Kind of. Maybe a little bit louder, Dan. Uh, for that's all I got. Okay, so we'll, we'll turn it up a little bit here. Um, Testing. Yeah. There we go. All right. We will uh, we will take questions. If possible, maybe kind of only walk up here. <laughs> Not as much right in front, but uh, we'll take our first question here. This goes back to what you were just saying. What do you think about the overall maturity level of this team? And do you think they'll be able to beat teams that they're supposed to play up to the teams that they're supposed to play? And do you think they're going to stop complaining to the refs? I would say to that first, like, I think that's very much on their radar. I mean, kind of how could it not be right, right after what happened last season and right maturity literally 
cost them that. It's like, I feel like just when we've been talking to Finch at practice and stuff, that comes up like once a scrum where he's like, oh, I think, you know, we're, right. we're, we're more, we're, we have that on our radar. He said the other day at practice, he's like, well, we were, I'm glad the West is good because we were bad against shitty teams last right, year. Right. You know, like, I think it's very much to answer, whoever asked that, to answer your question, I, I think it's on their radar. I always think about the maturity with this team is so much more so about like play to play discipline rather than like getting technicals or punching each other or punching a wall. Like, I think we use those flashbulb moments of immaturity that everyone saw to be the example of why this team wasn't mature or losing last season or losing to bad teams last season last season as the reason right. I thought last year they were undisciplined team schematically and just everyone kind of consistently doing their jobs. I think that is going to change. And quite frankly, I think that's more meaningful than like cutting your technicals in half. They were a frequently unlikable team because they had unjustified arrogance. They thought that they could go in and beat Detroit whenever they felt like it. They thought they could beat San Antonio. All they had to do was flip a switch. They didn't get back in transition. When they did get back in transition, they didn't match up. They committed turnovers and clusters, and those clusters led to runs that were decimating that they did not have the maturity to overcome. Uh, you had a nine-year veteran in Rudy Gobert who punched his teammate in one of the most pivotal games of the season. You had an eight-year veteran in Cat who continued to act like a child with the referees. Um, and you had what, guys... What do you, what do you, just to pause you on that, okay. like, right, as Carl has done different times in his career, he's for not, he has at least temporarily changed his behavior in terms of the way he's spoken to the media thus far. And hold on. He has at different times been like, I'm done talking to the refs. And then for like three weeks or two, maybe not even three weeks, two weeks, he doesn't. And he just runs back on defense. And then he kind of goes back to his, his old ways. Like, right. With the maturity question, I think what a lot of people are asking, and it's, I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but like, where is Cat going to fit into the maturity of this team? And the other way I would answer what that guy's question was, was you have Mike Conley on the team now, yep. who is a universally renowned, mature guy. He's never gotten a technical in his career. Um, he has played in grit and grind with the Grizzlies. That type of play breeds animosity on the court. He doesn't get involved in that kind of stuff. Um, because he's a small guy, he gets hit a lot. He doesn't complain. You've got Mike Conley instead of D'Angelo Russell, who never could really figure out what kind of personality he wanted to be and still probably hasn't. Um, that's a huge jump in, in maturity. Um and I also think that you have a little bit of an embarrassment factor, quite frankly. I mean, Jade McDaniels didn't know the wall was there when he punched it, right. but he punched it and he lost the playoffs. Um, he's going to come back somewhat chastened, I would imagine. I think Cat's latest behavior change 
We'll see if it holds. I'm willing to totally embrace it until and unless it breaks. Sure. But I also think that he, he played remarkably well at both ends of the court against Dallas over in uh, overseas. There are ways in which this team naturally will become more mature because they underachieved last year. And one of the ways they underachieved last year was by acting with extreme immaturity in terms of the, the most important thing of all, which is winning games that you should win. I mean, the difference between the playoffs and a play-in team is beating bad teams four more times. Right. They had huge margins of error to get that done, and they didn't get that done. So um, I would hope, and I think Chris Finch also deserves a little bit of um, chiding for this and is now on a different tact about holding people to the fire a little bit more in terms of it being, you don't, you know, you can't do this. If you're going to jaw at the refs or you're going to, you know, Ant, by the way, was not immune to this either. That's true. Yeah, 100%. So anyway, uh, long story short, I think there'll be a more mature team and I don't think that will be as much of an issue. I, I agree with that. Let's, uh, there we go. <laughs> uh, let's take another question here. Thank you for that. Hello. Um, quick preamble. Uh, so the Wolves employ two bigs. There are a few other teams that do the same. Cleveland Cavaliers to be uh, another comparable. Both teams had some really good defenses last year. Neither team did well on defensive rebounding. What factors, what actions can the Wolves take to better employ rebounding from their guard or small forward play so we can end possessions? Yeah, I mean, I think like, kind of like you said, it starts with the guards, right? Like... If you look at the, the team, if we just look at the guards at the beginning of last season, they, it wasn't players who were particularly, I think, skilled, like having that skill as rebounders. If you look at D'Angelo Russell, Jalen Noel, Jordan McLaughlin, I, I put Anthony Edwards in there. I mean, he had the skill, but it's like it's the I think it's the awareness and intention, you know, to to be part of that. And and I also think for a lot of them, like switching stylistically how they played in coverage kind of like distorts in ways the position you're in to rebound like it, it it doesn't make sense that they barely got better at rebounding last season when they got obviously because they got Rudy Gobert but I would say it doesn't make sense given that how frequently they had their five at the rim that they didn't rebound that doesn't make sense it made sense that they were a bad rebounding team two years ago because they didn't have Rudy Gobert and they played their big up right um, but I, I would say the primary factors are the guards and the awareness of the way in which you're playing at the time. Is Carl in at the five? Is Rudy in at the five? And just intention. It's kind of like the maturity thing. It's like, are we going to give a shit about this or not? You know? And because I think it's been a problem for multiple years, like it's on the top of the scout, right? And uh, we'll, we'll see. I think Mike Conley is better at that than D'Angelo Russell is. I think Anthony Edwards is more tuned into that. Uh, I think Jaden McDaniels maybe not being on the ball as much as he was last season would help. I, mean, I wouldn't say he's a strong rebounder, but he's tall, right? Like, that's half the battle. I, I, I would, I mean, if you had to guess, like, where do you think the Wolves finish in rebounding? They were 30th two years ago, 26th last season. Are they an average rebounding team this year? 
Yeah, I mean, I would say they'd be like 18th. It's, it should be better than that, but like even but, that would be a progression. But understand that um, some of it has to do with the fact of the way they play. Um, if you're going to be a switching team, if you're going to be a zone team, I mean, and also, I mean, what Finch thinks is that they didn't give a shit enough. Yeah. He talks about the 50-50 rebounds that they didn't get all the time. Right. He talks about on offense. I know you talked about defensive rebounding, but on offensive rebounding, they conceded offensive rebounds because their transition defense was so bad. If you play good transition defense, you're allowed to put more people on the glass, which is what Finch preferred. He, he actually said his first year here, his first that half year he was here, that he believes that you have a better chance of getting the offensive rebound and scoring and not worrying about getting back in transition. Well, after many embarrassments early in the season, he had to abandon that whole philosophy. So what I would say is a more committed, smarter team. What are the odds of them being more committed and smarter? Well, I mean, this is going to become a theme, but Mike Conley is a very, very good rebounder. He gets most of the rebounds he should get, and then one or two more. And so that's a big plus. Nicole Alexander-Walker is another guy who gets after it and gets rebounds. Um, not having Cat around last year did hurt in terms of rebounding because he was better than slow-mo at the four at getting rebounds just in general. Um, and I think, again, another key here is how much is Anthony Edwards going to focus on things? How much is Anthony Edwards going to box out? Anthony Edwards is fantastic when he turns it on. And when he doesn't have it turned on, he his going through the motions is more injurious. His, in, he does not box out for defensive rebounds. Um, he does not um, pursue on a pick and roll to contest. There's something about just continual hustle that creates rebounding because you're on the move. And that's why Rudy has to learn that it isn't just straight drop coverage. You're not going to do one and four. Um, I think a lot of it, quite frankly, is a little bit scheme a little bit health, a little bit Conley and Nah and, and new guy. Shake Milton is a big dude. Uh, Troy Brown Jr. seems like a guy who could come in and get your rebounds from the perimeter. And then at the end of the day, effort. And, and, and uh, let's not let the bigs off the hook either. Like, I think it's interesting to bring up the Cleveland point, right? Like, I don't know where they finished in the regular season last year, but I think what you're probably thinking, or what I'm thinking is they lost the Knicks series because they got punked physically. And and I think Jared Allen and Evan Mobley are good players. I don't think they're physical bigs. And and I would say Carl, Nas, Rudy, like I wouldn't say are particularly physical bigs either. Nas so, but, is a terrible rebounder. Yeah. For all the guys who say, Nas, Reed, Nas, Reed, tell them to rebound. <laughs> all right, let's take another question. So I think there have been a lot of things identified about why this team is going to get back to the playoffs and back in a higher seed. But 
looking at this organization from top to bottom, not just historically, but right now, there doesn't seem to be a lot of playoff experience within it. So what is going to be the linchpin, whether it's ownership, coaching, or players, that's going to give this team a playoff run? I'll take this. Yeah, go. I disagree. Um, I think you have a budding superstar in Anthony Edwards. And I think that when you have that type of a player who has served notice to a lot of people who watch the game of basketball, notice that this guy can be on a level that is unique, that is a top 10 player in the NBA. If you have a top 10 player in the NBA, that is a, that is a thing you can put in the ground and work around. That is a solid foundation by itself. Then you have a guy, Jade McDaniels, 23 years old, who is a really good on-ball defender and a surprisingly good, very underrated offensive player. Those two guys are still on their rookie contracts. That is a foundation for a playoff team. When you have two guys, shout out to Gerson Rosas, who otherwise has a lot of checkerboard problems in his legacy, but getting Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels in the same draft is a home run draft. And those guys are now going into, what is it, year four, right? Year four is when you begin to really round, round the corner and know your game. So I would say having those two guys gives you the foundation for playoffs. I would also say Chris Finch and Tim Connolly. I've ripped Tim Connolly plenty for the Go Bear trade, but everything else he's done has been very good, in my opinion. And I have a high opinion of Chris Finch. I just think that the pieces are in place. Um, if Gobert and Cat can come through, they have a deep bench now, deeper bench than they've had before. The West is tough, and I'm not proclaiming automatic home, home court advantage or anything, but I will say that the potential is there for this to be a very good Wolves team, and I don't think they have to change anything other than their internal dynamics. And I agree with that. I, I think the, my opinion, just 10,000 feet of this team, is I think good regular season team and concerned about how they would function in a seven-game series, right? When a team can pick at them, how many different things can you do if you're the Wolves, right? Defensively, offensively, once they take something away or expose it. And when I think of, like, most of the time you just got to get in the playoffs to feel that and play in a, a chess game series. I always call right. it that, right? And the Wolves don't have that experience. The Memphis series wasn't chess. The Nuggets series wasn't chess. That was a playoff experience. It wasn't that. And I think that's super important. What I will be encouraged by and patient with this season is if Finch sticks to diversity in terms of the things they're trying offensively and defensively and messing around with that in the name of like winning matchup to matchup in the regular season, but also with some goal of like, when the playoffs come around, we need to know we can do a couple of different things on each side of the ball. Right. And, and I think in the regular season, like establish those habits. Right. They did not do that. The, the year the Pat Bev year, they, they played one style of play and whatever, that's what got them to the playoffs. And well, they tried to, to do something differently. But and they it, couldn't. 
Exactly. And, this, and that, this group can do multiple things. And that's what I mean when I when I talk about Rudy. Yeah. I mean, Rudy gets played off the floor in the playoffs is kind of a unfair statement to make because he played with a lot of bad defenders in Utah. It's that his team couldn't do multiple things. Right. That's what it is. Right. And that's what I'm talking about. And, and I actually think that there's great potential. I, I think this is one of the deepest Wolf teams I've ever covered. Um, 1 to 11, I think that you're not, you're not asking Leonard Millen and Josh Minot to play minutes this year. Right. Um, I, I, I really think that Tim Conley has done a really good job under the circumstances. I mean, that D-low for Conley and Naw trade was a masterstroke. I thought he, um, I, I just think that this team is ready. This team has the components. It's just a matter of alignment and willpower. Mm-hmm. And, and quite frankly, whether or not that alignment and willpower stacks up against a lot of other teams that are facing the exact same issue. Sure. If they maximize, how good can they be? I mean, the Wolves could be much better than they were last year and still have a very similar record because of all these teams. I mean, Oklahoma City, New Orleans, to just pick two that were around them. The Lakers were around them. The Lakers are going to be better. I don't think the Clippers are going to be better, but I, and I'm not sure about the Suns, but the Nuggets are there. There is there's a lot of teams that are going to be vying for that top six slot. Right. That gets rid of the play-in. And the Wolves are going to be one of them, in my opinion. Thank you for the question. Let's take another one. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. So, uh, not super wolf centric, but they always say smart, smart watchers don't watch the ball. Right. So uh, for the wolves, right. What should a smart viewer be watching away from the ball on offense and defense? Spacing. um, Whether or not people are getting good shots and how they're getting good shots, if they are getting good shots, this is where Chris Finch needs to, imprint himself he's a very very smart offensive player he has the tools to do that um but it does need to be imposed upon people that they play offense in a manner that creates spacing on the floor 
So I would I would argue when does Gobert come out and set picks? When does he stay down low? When does uh, on defense? When is McDaniel's on the ball? When is he off the ball? Um, on offense, when is Mike Conley setting up a play? On second unit, when is Nas in his element as a high-paced guy, and when is he adjusting? I mean, there's all kinds of things when you say off the ball. Some of it has to do with the fact that what you're looking away from is quickly going to be what you're going to be looking at. What is off the ball usually means what is about to be on the ball. And it's a fast-paced game. I mean, how are you setting picks on pick and roll? How are you defending on pick and roll? How are you... Are you shading toward the corner to deny the three? Or are you packing the paint? What's your matchup that you're being hurt by? How is that adjustment being made? Some of that is seeing exactly what's on the ball, but a lot of it is seeing what happens away from the ball. I, I would say just off of that too is the like, again, to the structure versus flow thing is like, watch for the awareness of the players off ball when the action switches from a script to freelance, you know, That's a and, good point. And, and I think some point, and I think that shift is going to be key because I, I was talking to Jace about this. It's like, all right, in a possession, there's structure and there's flow. What is the amount of seconds that it's structured of the 24, right? Is it six, is it eight, nine, whatever. And, and I think you kind of feel that out with your group, but the group kind of needs to know that, right? Like, all right, we're designing this action for a pin down for cat, right. right? And they top lock it. And we're not going to get that. Like how, how dialed in is the dude in the corner to rise up and play in the second action off of that? Like, and I know that seems super in the weeds, but that's the way they're going to play. And the structure is not always going to work. So how good are you at quickly shifting into something that is flow based is freelance is off the cuff, right? Like they, in theory, they should have experience with that. Can how quickly can they enact that, and can we see that off the ball? That's what offensively I'll be looking for. And the way to notice that is how confused are they on the court? If you notice last year in transition, the Wolves had an like a forty IQ. I mean, they they were just awful, and so. And the same applies in the half court on offense as well as defense. Um, when somebody is setting a pick and roll, when is it a good thing to deny the pick and roll and, and, and go away from it because of what you see in front of you? In other words, essentially what we're talking about is how intelligently can the Wolves play? And last year they were a fairly dumb team given their talent. They did not reach their talent level because they were they were unintelligent whether they were unintelligent because they were stubborn and thought that what they had previously done worked best as in high wall when they weren't playing high wall or as in roll to the rim because that's the way I've always done it or set a pick because that's the way I've always done it or because uh I'm going to play cat and mouse on with this guy and ignore the matchup advantage we have on the other side of the court because there's no structure and I can do that. Um, all of these things 
dumb this team down and cost this team. Finch has recognized that. I think Dane made an excellent point that structure is there. Until it's not. Imagine, well, imagine structure is like um, you get up in the morning and you have breakfast. And you make coffee a certain way and you have your toast a certain way and you're in your day. That's a structure that you have. And if you don't have it that way, your day isn't quite the same. What structure is meant to do is put you in a mindset that you are doing what you're doing as you're on the court. And if you don't have that structure, then you get to make up your own breakfast and you got five breakfasts on the court. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Let's take another question here. Yeah, so um, I watched pretty much every game last year, and Rudy Gobert was clearly probably dealing with something physically, it seemed, that was bringing him down. I also didn't get a chance to watch a lot of Utah Rudy Gobert, so I don't know what he brings to the table uh, that's so elite and unique and whatnot. So I'm, I'm just kind of hoping for you guys to get me hyped up about healthy Rudy. What, what kinds of things can I expect uh, better out of him, and, and, and what kinds of things will excite me? Structure. I, I mean, drink. Like, that's the word. But, like, structure will help Rudy Gobert. Like, that, that is going to... The plays in Utah that Rudy looked explosive and dynamic were when he could catch and explode and finish or explode and block a shot and know and trust his teammates. With, with trust and knowledge of what is going on around him, I promise you Rudy Gobert is going to look significantly more dynamic. He needs that, though. He won't. He won't. If, if the teammates don't give him that, he will look like what you're talking about, you know? And and they there needs to be an awareness of that. I, I don't know. I've always pushed back on this notion that, like, Gobert's really deteriorating or deteriorated physically. And, and I think I'm kind of on an island with that. Like, you say that to me. Kyle says that to me. Jay says that to me all the time. And, and I don't know. I mean, he's getting older, so that happens, I guess, to everyone. I just think, to me, it's so much about enabling him in his explosive positions to look more athletic and look more dominant in the ways that made him a 70 plus percent true shooting percentage guy. I don't see like, I don't see a big physical deterioration with him. I, I, I personally really don't, but I didn't watch him as closely in Utah either. It'd be interesting, you know, had I watched every single 21, 22 jazz game to compare and contrast. I mean, I don't know what I, I watched some, but like, I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's, like, deteriorating. That's my opinion. I would agree. I, I think that he is 31 now. And for a big man who is, yes, he is a stolid guy. He's a low-post guy. But he's not like Moses Malone or somebody. He's 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 live. He, uh, he's very tall. And he's not very athletic. But he is an anticipatory guy who uh, is able to, thank you. Um, focus on the beer. There you yeah, go. That's right, focus <laughs> on the beer. Well, you know, I've always been a... Rudy Gobert beer. Yeah, yeah. Rudy Gobert beer. Let me hang on for a minute. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. <laughs> you actually, actually did. Think that, no, no I, I did. Gobert was stubborn last year in terms of what he could do well. And when... His teammates did not respond the way an organization that had ingrained a system for nine years into 
his teammates, they suddenly, first of all, they played high wall very well last year, the previous year. So they were less committed to it, I believe. And there was a disconnect. Gobert began to not trust that his teammates would give him the reliability to do what he does. And there was that was accurate. But he was also stubborn. He was also, I'm going to do this because this is the way I've always done it. The easy way to say this is Gobert and his teammates were not always on the same page on the half-court defense. And because of that, they made each other look bad when their disagreements or their habits did not align and the play played into exploiting that. Um, I think that if Gobert buys into the idea that he is not always going to be the last line of defense, that sometimes Gobert will be more effective using his defensive intelligence to be the next to last line of offense and somebody is going to be filling behind him or he is going to be charged not with just being a presence at the rim, which he's very good at, but it being a presence at the nail or being a presence a little bit away from the, that could be just as effective as being a presence at the rim, depending on what the play call is from the offense. So what you need is Gobert, I mean, this is going to be an ongoing theme for me, Gobert having the mental and psychological flexibility to use his enormous skills and his great experience to tailor himself better to what the Wolves as a team need. And if that happens, I mean, I asked Chris Finch exactly this question. I said, what is it about Gobert that makes him such a force on defense. Because if, I mean, if you didn't notice, despite everything looking bad for Gobert sometimes, the Wolves were remarkably better on defense when he was on the court. And he said, shot deterrence, um, basically just a reputation. You know, you, you don't go in against him. Uh, if you do go in against him, your shot will be altered. And, uh, I can't remember what the third thing was now. Oh, not not fouling. He doesn't foul. So, I mean, if right. somebody's going to the rim, sometimes they'll beat Gobert because that happens in the NBA. But Rudy will not do the end one very often. And most of the time when they're going in, their percentage of layups going against Gobert will go down. So reducing field goal percentage, reducing the number of free throws, and reducing the number of attempts that are happening at the rim, all of those analytics will tell you make your team much better and much more efficient on defense. That's what Gobert can do under any circumstances and did for the Wolves. They were much better with him on the court than off and the court. And if you put that together with four other teammates, or at least three, they maybe had one last year who was, right. that's how you become the Utah Jazz, and that's how Rudy Gobert becomes Defensive Player of the Year, right? It's like... There's no basketball player. There's no basketball player that is a living, breathing, elite defense, elite, elite defense by himself. Rudy is about as close as it gets to that. Right. But it becomes elite as a group. 
And that said, I will say that I don't think Rudy Gobert will win ever win another DPOY, but they will. See, I have to I have to concentrate, so I'm really glad he's doing this. Um, but that was a priority. Um, All for another question. Yeah. All right. Another question. Hey guys, big fan of the pod. Um, I'm just curious about Ant's mindset heading into a year where he's highly incentivized to get all NBA. Sure. And how he balances that with, you know, getting Cat involved, getting Jaden involved, getting Nas involved, and how he can, you know, have an all NBA type of year, but also have team success as well. I, I really get the vibe that he gets that. Like, he gets that it comes from team success. Because he also knows, like, I'm going to do my own thing, right? Like, when the time and situation calls for it, like, I'm going to take over. I'm going to be special. I'm going to be all that. But I get the sense. You know, I'm not in his head. I don't. But, like, there have been star players in the league who have $50 million on the line in the past or whatever, have a major incentive on the line in the past that I think would, you know, shift into that gear of, like, getting theirs, right? And, and I don't get the sense, I, I just personally don't get the sense that that's Ant. Like, he's going to take his and get his in the course of the game just because that's his game, not because he's like, I need to get all NBA. I think he knows, like, if the Wolves are like the three seed in the West, like, Ant's going to be all NBA. Like, that that's pretty much just a fact, you know? And, and I think, like, I think he gets that. And I think he's got people in his ear who are telling him that, too. The great thing about Anthony Edwards is he's very, very transparent. You know exactly where he's strong, and you know exactly where he's weak. And he's both, man. Because he's, he's an open book, on the court and off the court. You even know when he's telling you something that isn't necessarily true because that's just part of his nature, you know? And... I mean, like the whole idea. Yeah, I got to get better at that. I'm bad at the early games. I got to get better at that. It's an it's, a, it's an acknowledgement yeah. that I've done wrong. But the I've got to get better at that is probably not going to happen. <laughs> or, or if it does, it's going to happen on a very slow yeah. rise. But what I like about him, nobody can accuse him of being a bad teammate. I mean, he he praises players sincerely i mean some of it of course he knows in the back of his mind it's the right thing to do but that guess what that's why everybody is nice to other people you know it's because it's the right thing to do he's sincere about it i can't think of a teammate at various times that he hasn't given a lift to at a time when they needed a lift and the fact that he is now becoming somebody that all the old heads in the NBA want to embrace as the next big thing in the league, players know that. Teammates know that. His influence will be enormous on this team just in terms of his behavior, the way he thinks about things, the way he acts with people. And he's smart enough and also naturally inclined enough to be good to those people. And to to encourage a team vibe, I there are very the only ways I see Anthony Edwards as being a negative this year is 
sustaining some of the things he's always been bad at, which is off-ball defense, he doesn't pay attention enough. Um, On-ball defense, he comes and goes with it. Rebounding, not very good. Transition defense, he doesn't get back. I mean, these are, these are fundamental things that need to be fixed. On the other hand, the guy's 22. And so, and there are a lot of players of his caliber who you just have to say after year seven, year eight, all right, this is who they are. They're still pretty damn good. I guess they're never going to get back in transition or they're never going to be great off-ball defenders. But there's still the possibility because of who he is and the way he, he acts and the way the front office has faith in him that he could seal those, he could cock those seams in his game and become a superstar. I mean, not just like a Kevin Love superstar, but a Kevin Garnett superstar. You would be able to speak to this better than I would, but like an interesting thing for me since I've been covering the team around the team is like to the extent that I can understand locker room dynamics, understand locker room dynamics. I remember the first team that I really covered was that Jimmy team, right? And it was like there was this group and there was this group. There was the young guys and there was the older guys, right? And in different teams, there's been other different groups. And and I say this all to mean that Ant is a very likable teammate. But to, from my perspective, he does it in this unique way where there's like still these pockets of groups, right? But he kind of fits into all those cliques where like not, not only in the way where they're like, we need this guy, right, to get the most out of right. ourselves or our group, but genuinely are attracted to him. And yet he's kind of off on his own is the sense that I get. I haven't ever been like, oh, it's Aunt so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. And I know we like to, like, age group them, and you're like, oh, it's Aunt Jaden and Nas. I've never really got the sense that it's, like, those three young guys are, like, boys, right? Like, right. there's a group here, there's a group here, there's a group here, and Ant's kind of this individual, but he's in every one of the groups right. to, to some extent, too. And I think, I think that's what you were kind of getting at, or, like, to the Ant leadership thing, like, it works. I, I feel very confident in that and how that works, and how that, like, garners respect from all manner of different players and just different people, right? Like, Rudy right. is so different than Josh Akogi. Right. And, like, Ant is cool with Rudy as he was with Josh Akogi, you right. know? And, and th there's something special about that. I, I think there's something special let, about let that. Let me give you two things that should be music to every Wolves fan. There we go. There we go. One thing... When we were in Denver, and after a game two loss in Denver, Ant and Mike Conley were in this shitty visiting locker room, you know, with bare bones and whatever. Yeah, I remember sitting that. Sitting on a bench, ignoring everybody else around them and talking about the game for 10 minutes before media got to ask them anything. And if you were there watching it, you were saying to yourself, this is one of the smartest guys in the NBA teaching one of the most talented guys in the NBA what the game is yep. like at the most important time in the NBA. And if, if you didn't feel good about that, watching that, or didn't appreciate what was going on at the time, I mean, yeah, I was, you, you hit me. You were like, oh. I was privileged. I was <laughs> yeah. privileged to be in the room to watch that. 
because that's how good things happen to franchises. And the other thing is more terse and prosaic, but Chris Finch in the interview with me said, Ant is the perfect blend between confidence and coachability. Chris Finch is a no bullshit guy. Right. And so if you got Mike Conley in a willing ear and you got a coach that knows exactly how good this guy can be and is on the same wavelength. I mean, you heard Finch. I fuck with Finchie. You know, that, that quote from, from uh, Ant, which is, you know, means he's his guy. He's his dog. Um, Ant's, Ant's the, Ant is not only the least of our worries, he's the source of so much of our optimism. Nikhil Alexander Walker starting for Jaden McDaniels again tonight uh, for for the Wolves. Some kind of weird trend here. Yeah, that's weird. Um, all right, let's uh, let's take another question if we have one here. Um, I think a big question this offseason was Jaden McDaniels' contract situation. Um, do you think his potential contract size? Um, is worth disrupting, possibly disrupting the double big lineup with like the cap, salary cap changes that we have. Right. Like if you give Jaden 35 million a year. Like Devin Vassell's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, does it make you need to change your roster in the future? And is that worth it? Right. Like, yeah, I I would say, yeah. I mean, because you said this a couple weeks ago when we were talking like, if it, I think you referred to the rest of the roster outside of Ant and Jaden as driftwood. Like, if, if that drifts away, which will just probably at some point will naturally happen as it ages out. Right. Um, like, you got to have another wave, right? Right. And, and Jaden is what makes that a wave. If it's just Ant and Nas, like, that's not a team. Like, that's not a team team, you know? Uh, Ant and Jaden, probably Ant, Jaden, and Nas, maybe, you know, like as, as we get there. Yeah. I mean, the simple thing is because it's Jaden, you got to do it and figure it out later. And, and figuring it out later is probably going to be uncomfortable and going to lead to change to some guys who have been staples of this team. But like, man, I'm, I'm watching, like, I was thinking about when the Dame Lillard trade went down and Phoenix was involved in it, right? And I'm like, Devin Booker's the only guy left on that team, right? That went to the championship two years ago. Like, that's how this works. That's how the league goes. Is like, particularly when you're in contention, continuity is extremely difficult to maintain because, like, if you're good, you guys are going to get paid and you can only pay so many people, you know? So, like, yeah, you, you sign Jaden and you you figure it out later. And unfortunately, like, He's in a really high leverage situation where he can basically kind of name his number, I think. Right. And and I think that's why there's no contract right now. They're they're navigating that. I think to some extent, Jaden is doing like a quiet hold in, hold out type deal. And I get that from Jaden's side and I get from the Wolf side why you haven't done. I've said this a million times. I get it like but you have to do it because. Again, to the Giannis point, like, you have to have a window of time in perpetuity going forward where, like, 
Ant, that keeps Ant committed to this. And and I I, I think Jaden, because he's also so young, is is as good of a reason to keep Ant committed to this as as anything else is. You got any Jaden contract thoughts? In direct answer to your question, I would say yes. <laughs> I would say that um, if the prospect of having a fourth max salary player is what happens with Jade McDaniels, that's unfeasible, which means you have to get rid of somebody. I would get rid of somebody before I left Jade McDaniels without a max deal, if that's what it took. On the other hand, I would say I'd wait until restricted free agency and let the market decide. You have a chance. Meanwhile, going back channel on Jade and saying, we're going to sign you no matter what it is. I mean, I really do think that I'm on record as saying in two or three years it is not only plausible, but uh, a, a, a good bet, not probable, but a good bet that the two best players on this team are going to be 25-year-old, 26-year-old Jade McDaniels and 25-year-old Anthony Edwards. We're going to try and uh, have a, a guest call in here. We'll see if this works. No, no, turn up the Bluetooth one, the blue one right here. Kyle, I think you're on. What's up? Can we hear him? Oh, no, 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 no. Maybe it's this one. Oh, it's way too fancy. Well, you know, only we'll get Kyle in a second. Let's take another question. Oh, Kyle. Can we yeah. Hear? What's up? Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Everybody say hello to Kyle Tiggy. Yeah. Can you hear What's that? What's going on? I didn't know yeah, exactly. What's going on? How's it going? It's good, man. We got a we got a lot of people here. I'm 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 giving you a question to Brit. You're giving oh, you want me to ask Bull? I, I wanted to apologize <laughs> to the listeners because I listened to the podcast this morning and you debuted a new word yesterday. I did. It was morass. Because you've been hanging out with Brit a lot. I thought you meant just literally like more ass. So when I described Jalen Noel's play as mm. more ass. Mm. Uh, I apologize for that, but uh, you want me to ask? I call question? bullshit on that. I think you knew what the <laughs> meaning of the morass is, and you just wanted no, to make a very clever. I joke. have. I had to look it up after the pot. I have no idea what morass is. I spell it M O R E A S S. But you want me to ask Britt a question? Sure. Or you could just say anything. There's there's a lot of people here. Uh, well, I want I want Britt to follow up on my bold prediction about how if this team were to try to make any sort of move at the deadline. Any sort of move at the deadline? Say that again. I don't hear. I can answer the rest of it. it so, so what if we did? Me and Kyle did a bold prediction thing uh, on Friday. Oh, okay. And his bold prediction, trade deadline re related, was that Kyle Anderson gets moved. Oh. At the deadline, what do you think of that? What do I think of that yes. uh, bold prediction? I think it's very smart. Okay. I think that um, one of the subplots of this season is that Kyle Anderson and Nas Reed are on a collision course. Kyle Anderson plays the four a lot better than the three. Kudos to you for pointing that out to me. I didn't know that before. But statistically, he's much better as a four. Nas Reed is going to play the four. Finch says it over and over again when anybody even suggests for a second 
that Nas will play some five. He says 90% will be at the four. He really wants to implant the idea that Nas is a four. Given that Cat is going to be a four whenever they're on the court with Gobert, and that Nas is going to play 90 minutes of the four, that means that slow-mo is not going to get very many minutes at all right. at the position that he's best suited for. Then you throw in the contracts. Slow-mo is at the end of his deal. Yep, he's playing for a contract. He's going to be getting reduced minutes at a position he is less equipped to play. Meanwhile, Nas is in the first year of a $52 million deal. So I would say that the organization has already decided that Nas is in the future of this team and Kyle probably is not because we just got through with a, the prospect of a fourth maximum to get Jaden paid, which I don't think is going to happen, but it won't be cheap. And you can't sign slow-mo. I mean, how you want to tie up you want to put $200 million in your front court? I mean, you know, it gets ridiculous after a while. So I think it's a very smart forward-looking Logical, thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought that too. If it were for me, I will tell you, I would rather have slow-mo on my team for the next three years at $14 million than Nas. Not that Nas is bad and right. that Nas has already made me look like an idiot numerous times. It'll probably continue. But I think and if I were given the choice between those two players, I think that Kyle can do more things in more ways than Nas can do. Now, the difference, again, is age. Right. You know, not, can Nas exponentially grow his game? That, that's the huge question. That was one of my bold predictions, is that the Nas and Rudy pairing works really well, like the Kyle and Rudy pairing last season. Let's hear it for Kyle Tiger. Everybody clap so he hears this. Yeah, there we go. Uh, again, uh, thank you guys all for being here. We're going to hang out. We're going to watch the game. Uh, we have some tickets to give out. I'm going to close down the podcast here shortly. But again, thank you for being here. I'm sorry there's a bunch of you who have questions. Come say hi. Ask us those questions in person. Uh, you guys rule. This fan base is, uh, is special, and I'm glad we can all be here together. Uh, Wolves back uh, until Monday. He's Britt. I'm Dane. Peace out. Thank you. How I'm feeling, man. I hope it never stop. Yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever ever bring you down. Yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around. Yeah.